In a world where three pudgy history teachers discuss random aspects of history. I've got nothing. No, Hatfield, we got you. Yeah, I, wait, who you calling pudgy? Yeah, man, that's kind of rude. No, I'm rude. That's right, folks. It is the History Bros Podcast. We are here ready to go with the greatest of sounds. That's all I can say. I am Jason Rude in Iowa, also known as Corn. I have Brian Geldmacher to the south of me in Missouri. He is known as Dirty. And I don't even know where I am now. The biggest personality of all of us here is Jason Hatfield. One of my good. Sorry, dudes. I'm lost. I was frantically trying to put on my my glitter bra- or my glow bracelets and glow sticks so I could, you could dance participate. in my closet. <laughs> You're still in the closet, huh? Hey, I mean, Rude, did you know that Hatfield is on Wikipedia? Damn it! <laughs> there it was. I uh, I needed to hear that. But uh, Hatfield's in North Carolina. He's known as NASCAR. According to uh, people, I guess. But <laughs> I'm known throughout this podcast. Oh no, as NASCAR. No, 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 no. You are known throughout my classroom now as NASCAR because oh, I'm not going to lie. Boy. My students asked to hear the uh, a number of things from my podcast this last week, and I, I I don't know. Maybe I should go back and read the quotes of what was stated. I don't know if I can actually say that. All I know is that I have some students that are now tuning into this. So shout out to my. Uh, Kiddos that are listening to this and helping boost our numbers, give us a uh, a good review. <laughs> I know, I know. But uh, anyway, uh, they listened. What, what exactly are you teaching in your class? It was That's, it was study hall. Curious. It was during study hall. It was study. Oh, it's for study hall. Okay, it, well that that makes loads of sense. No, the, the, so what happened is somehow it came up that I lost my crap last week and started laughing uncontrollably, and so uh, the whole uh, it, it, Jason's in or, uh, Hatfield's in the closet thing, um, and, and I started laughing, and then uh, he mentioned <laughs> Voss's dies. And I lost it even harder, and I couldn't breathe for a while. And so the kids are like, well, what, what do you mean? I said, like, just play it for us. I'm like, fine. Oh. So I played it for them, and they thought that and was hilarious. And you indulged them. I That's did. And a couple things yeah. happened. So <laughs> as soon as they're walking out going to the next classes, I'm in my room kind of getting ready to go monitor the hallways. I'm walking towards them, and I can hear in the distance, was is dies from all the students back and forth. <laughs> It was hilarious. <laughs> now, now I can actually uh, put on my resume, ELL teacher. <laughs> so then, there you go. Yeah. So then they, uh, after that, they they go. Well, we want to listen to another one. So I'm like, whatever. I'll you can play the the uh, the trailer. I'll play the trailer for you guys. So I played it, and they thought it was hilarious. But then we got to the part where we said you can look him up on Wikipedia. <laughs> and he says, yeah, if you don't believe us, you can look him up. Just look him up. And you said, Hatfield, no, don't look me up. We said, why not? And you said, I don't know what they might find. So I look over at them. And what are they doing? I said, what are you guys doing? They go, we're looking it's called, at. It's called clickbait. That's what that is. <laughs> yeah. <It's> clickbait. <laughs> they go, we're looking that dude up. I said, well, what'd you find? And they go, some bald guy. I said, yeah, that's him. Oh. 
that's a shot. You know what? You know what, kids? Okay, if you're listening to this, let me talk to you for just a second. This is Uncle Nat's car. Just me and you, baby. Me and you. God only made so many perfect heads. The rest he covered with hair. Oh, now boy. Put that in your corn cob pipe and smoke it there, Buster Brown. <laughs> are you are you advocating that middle school kids smoke? No, absolutely not. Especially, especially, especially with the whole vaping crisis that's going on. I strongly suggest <laughs> yeah, that kids do not do that. Because later that day we did have a vaping um, uh, deal. So yeah, please incident. No, not what? competition. No, we had a, a, a presentation <laughs> from one of the local uh, sheriff's deputies on vaping, and uh, it's been an issue. So, and not that we're here to talk about that issue, but I mean, yeah, the vaping thing has been a real big issue. So yeah, the uh, we've we've uh, yeah we bust kids for we don't we haven't busted a lot of kids this year or last year for vaping, but we've had vaping issues um, at our school, like on the bus. Mm. So, but um, but yeah, not so much in the in the classroom. In the classroom, I mean, in school, right? Not a lot of vaping takes place in my classroom, just for the record. Well, I hope not. Jeez, only the although okay. Although I will say that I was um, uh, I was out of town. I was in Chicago this past weekend. And you didn't and invite us. What the heck? You were close. Um, Man. It was, well, I don't live there. So? But, um, well, I know that you guys could have driven the five hours. It was only you know, four. To get there. It was only four. Anyway, so I come back to my classroom, and apparently one of my students had had a bit of a tantrum and took my uh, yardstick and snapped it in half. Oops. Mm-mm. So uh, I came back and I found two halves of my um, yardstick on my um, desk. And I'm like, huh, well, there must be a story behind this. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so he, uh, he the, the, the student in question did come up and apologize. And he said that he would be replacing my yardstick, to which I replied, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you think? <laughs> And I was like, well, what was the problem? And he was like, I just had a bad day. And I was just, you know, some, some, something about guys picking on his girlfriend and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, okay, but why would you have to break my stuff? Right. Right. Because I wasn't going to break my stuff. Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, don't you have a phone that you could smash? I mean, wouldn't that be much (laughs) better than my yardstick? But no, he just said, you know, he would, he would, you know, he would replace it. And I was like, yes. Of course you will, and I, pre- you know, I accept your apology. Where you go? <laughs> and uh, then he spent my class period in um, what's now it's it's supposed to be uh, in school suspension, but they've rebranded. Do, do you guys have in school suspension? Oh yes, absolutely. Is it is it called in school suspension? Oh yes, absolutely. Okay, because they've they've rebranded it. Um, <laughs> and what do they call it? It's now called restorative practices. Uh, uh, so reteaching, so, we also have reteaching. Yeah, well, I guess it, it could possibly be that, but it's basically you know the kids will be there if they're you know it's like it's basically in school suspension, but right. trying to right. have a, a positive spin on it. <laughs> there you go. Hey, did anything happen? So I'm positive. What? what? I'm positive. So this week in history, suspension. yeah, yeah, I, I oh, got a good yeah. one. I'll, I'll kick off with if you want. Sure. sure, go ahead. This one shows how smart I am because I've been on the campus. I did not attend it, but I've been there. 
1636, Harvard College, the oldest institution of higher learning in the United States, is founded in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And uh-huh. um, yeah, so I'll take that one as a, a, a one for me. And uh, <laughs> that's as good as I'm going to get because they're really smart there. Okay. Yeah. I bet they don't use Wikipedia yep. on their right. papers. Oh. October 28, <laughs> 1846. Great. Now I've lost it in the midst of everything in here. <laughs> um, October 28, 1846. The Donner Party departed Illinois, heading to California. The group totaled 90 persons, including immigrants, families, and businessmen, led by George and Jacob Donner. Tragedy later struck as they became stranded in snow in the Sierras, where famine and cannibalism took its toll. There were 48 survivors by the end of their journey in April of 1847. There's that word again. Donner party. I thought you said dinner party. Right. (laughs) And some of the, and some of the, uh, the survivors, they were like, I'm so sorry. What, you know, what happened? And they said, well, you know, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Uh, Jacobson uh, tastes a lot like chicken. (laughs) (laughs) So too soon. So wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is that going to infringe on Jamestown jerky? Oh, um, I don't know. I mean, because you have like the ground zero for uh, That's English true. settlement. And they did, is, you know, they, they did it first, didn't they? They, they did. They, they, they led the charge. Right, Jamestown. I mean, right. Yeah, Jamestown. They, they, they cut right to the bone <laughs> of. <laughs> Cannibalism! Jeez. Holy cow! What is that? Did I say, what did I say? Did I faux pas? Did I faux pas? Oh my gosh! No, you so didn't. That's when you say Donner Party dinner of, uh, or was it a party of four? Donner Party of four? Uh, Donner Party? No, party, pa- party of, of five was the TV party show. <laughs> party of three. Well, that's what it ended up. Party, party of two. Party two, Donner Party. Anyone, that is horrible. Anyone? I mean, this was a horrible situation for these people. And Could, here we are constantly, once again, cannibalism. Isn't cannibalism fun? <laughs> could, could you imagine having the last name Donner and going to a fancy reserva- place where you get a reservation? <laughs> uh, Donner Party is the Donner Party here. And they sit down. What would you like? Uh, we're, we're vegetables. You'd have to be... You'd have to take it with in stride because it would take everything in me not to say, no, thanks. I've already eaten. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, if we we really want to, if we really want to get to the meat of this topic. Oh, oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. um, What what did I say? What did I say? Did I say something? You know who didn't have meat? Nope. Okay. October twenty sixth. Yeah, that's kind of it. Exactly. That's kind of it, Hatfield. <laughs> on October 6th, 1881, on the streets of Tombstone, Arizona, Lawman Doug Holliday and the Earp brothers met the Clanton McGlory gang, and their feud erupts. 30 seconds later, three are dead, three are wounded, and the gunfight at the OK Corral enters Wild West lore. Now, have either of you guys ever been to Tombstone? I have no. not. My parents have. Uh, I have not either. Apparently, where the fight took place wasn't actually at the OK Corral. It was actually right. like around 
um, out back where the dumpsters were. I don't know. It was. It wasn't <laughs> like you know. It wasn't there. But I've I've not been. I don't. I'm not familiar enough with this particular story to to really know. I did not watch Tombstone or anything like that. So all oh, I all I wait. know. What's that? You have not seen Tombstone. I have not seen Tombstone. Mm. I, I gotta go. Yep. All yep. I can say <laughs> is that I am very happy that this event happened, therefore creating a frozen pizza line and keeping me fed. But wow. chink. Yeah, that didn't work. That, that, that was, was bad. Uh, Ooh-wee. Well. Zaret, you got one of those cricket sound effects? I can. Hold on. <laughs> Thing is, you have the rave music. I'm sure that we got something. <laughs> Hang on, I. You know, I'm. I let me look. Let me see what I can find. Um, no, this is going to take too long. My um, <laughs> uh, October twenty eighth, eighteen eighty six. The Statue of Liberty was dedicated on Bedloe's Island in New York Harbor. The statue was a gift from the people of France commemorating the French-American alliance during the American Revolutionary War. They kind of skipped a little bit behind, um, um, shall we say, uh, 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 Jamonville's uh, interaction. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, you'll bring it up during my stuff, but no. we had all <laughs> that time during yours. No, it was for mine. It was mine, not you. <laughs> It just was that we're like we're like it's some serious lag happening here, folks. <laughs> so um, anyway, designed by Frederick Auguste Bartholdi, the entire structure stands three hundred feet, ninety-two point nine meters tall. Um, and do you know who designed the innards um, of the Statue of Liberty? No, uh, that was Gustav Eiffel. It was. It was Gustav Eiffel. The oh, same man I'm smart. created the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> really? Um, yeah. Yeah. And the actual uh, outlying uh, structure um, of the Statue of Liberty, the uh, the copper part, yeah, copper, sure. bronze, copper, yeah, um, is actually uh, as thin as roughly about two pennies. Really? Yeah. yeah. And they had to. Uh, the you, you used to be able to uh, go up into the torch mm-hmm. and stand out there. Um, of course, the last person to have done that was uh, Magneto. <laughs> but um, okay, they actually closed that down. Uh, X Men. That was probably before you were born. Nerd. Right? So the um, <laughs> the they actually had the opportunity. You used to be able to go up into the torch area, but um, during I believe it was World War One. Uh, uh, German saboteurs exploded some munitions nearby, which damaged the Statue of Liberty. And so they, uh, <sighs> what a bunch of jerks. Uh, I believe it was after that point, they they uh, stopped allowing people to go up there. But that- does anyone know the title of the um, the base? The, the title or like the, the saying? The, name? the huh? saying? Like the saying on the base of it? What, what, no, what the title of the uh, the poem is. Is at the base. I do. Well, then let's hear it. Well, it's the it's called the New Colossus. Oh, why is that? By by Emma Lazarus, mm-hmm. and uh, it says, "Give me." Well, the part of it that people understand or people 
I'll remember the most is give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Actually, it's uh, Tempest Tossed. No, uh, send these, the homeless Tempest Tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside uh, the golden door. Mm. Mm-hmm. And is and that into reference? About, What's that? Do what? Well, when we talk about uh, the when we talk about immigration, uh, this is always the the thing. There's been some group of immigrants that has been targeted. Uh, the Chinese Exclusion Act, for example, um, the Irish. Um, lots of people over the course of the year have uh, the course of the year, of course, of uh, our history. You know, oh, you've sure. had people that are like, oh, no, we don't want them um, because they're going to take our jobs. And it's basically the same arguments that we're hearing uh, today. So sure. we've had it for the Italians, the Germans. I mean, there's been anti-immigrant. All right, so moving on. Uh, October 27th, 1904. More than 100,000 people pay a nickel each to take a first day ride on something wondrous beneath New York City streets. The IRT company's new underground train system known as the subway. All right. Uh, and and I've got some know. friends in New York. I would uh, like to ask them if they'd pay a nickel. Go on that. <laughs> I have to ask, are, are the rats there as, I mean, is this where the beginning of subway rats started? I don't know. Maybe. Or have there always been large rats? I mean, I've heard that New York subway rats are like, you could put a saddle on them and ride them. Um, I'm I'm under the impression that the rats in, like, say, New York and Chicago are fairly well fed. Oh, okay, okay, um, and robust. But um, <laughs> yeah. fair enough. All right. Well, I got one for you. 1962, October 28th, Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev orders Soviet missiles removed from Cuba, thus ending the Cuban Missile Crisis. Oh, there you go. That's a big one. Ah, uh, Khrushchev, also known as Chuckles. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was Stalin. He was, uh... Wow. Uh, no, no, I was I was moving forward with the information. I wasn't pausing at all. Oh, sorry. Stalin? Are you Stalin? <laughs> 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 uh, They're not all boy. gems. They're not all gems. But, Crickets. Uh, when you do, oh, when you do read... Hang, wait, 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 hang on, wait, don't, don't say anything yet. I gotta, hang on. There it was. <laughs> you know, laugh as you may, but when you're reaching as I do for this comedy, it's because it's top shelf. Oh, here we go. <laughs> All right. So moving on. Uh, next. October 28th, 1965. Construction is completed on the St. Louis Arch at 630 feet. It is the world's tallest arch. It's the world's tallest monument. It's the monument to the westward expansion of the United States. And it's where I live. <laughs> <laughs> Can you see the arch from your house? No. Why not? Do you, you, well, because he lives like in the arch, too. dummy. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Who, who designed the arch? The designer. I know it. Do you guys know it? No. I don't. I don't know that. I'm, I'm sincerely asking. 
He's an architect. His name is Aero Saarinen. Really? Yeah, it was a competition that was held to commemorate, again, westward expansion. It was actually um, an idea that had started, I think, in the early 40s. They had cleared the land decades before the arch was even built. But uh, Hmm. they didn't come up with the final design until the late 50s-ish. Okay, and you can and you can actually. This is going to sound really stupid because I did have family that lived in, uh, I think, St. Louis for a time. But you can't actually go into the arch. It's kind of like the, but you can do yeah. that, right? Is yeah, it like a, a fantastic like, museum uh, underneath, and then they have tram rides to the top? Oh, so it's the, like a yeah. it's kind of like a like a cable car sort of ride. It goes like sort up of at an yeah. sort of thing. Okay, all right, but it's inside the arch. Yes, it's more like a big big elevator. Sure. I don't know. I've never been up there. I've been in the museum. I've never gone up. I don't like heights. So you would not like this. No, I wouldn't, and I won't do it. I've, I've told you. You know, here's the thing. So my wife and I went to Chicago, and we're waiting for one of the trains, and we're in this kind of uh, – we're at one of the stops, and we're in, obviously, lots of huge buildings downtown. And we go over to this one corner as we're standing on, uh, on, not on the track, but waiting for the train to come. And I look up and I, you know, I'm not fond of heights, but look just where I was standing. I would have to grab hold of the railing uh-huh. in front of me because I just, it, my knees start to hurt and my stomach <laughs> starts to hurt. Because I'm like, I just, there's something about these tall structures that just it they freak me out i don't know what it is i mean i'll go up in them and it's it's all fine but there's just something about thinking about people out there constructing them as they go up and it's just it mm-hmm. it kind of it kind of terrifies me to be honest so huh. the first one of the first times i was really close to the willis tower um i i was we didn't even go up in it it was it was nighttime in chicago and uh all I did is ran up to the building, took one look up, and that was all I needed. And I ran back, and I did not look up anymore. <laughs> I, so not going up inside that one? Huh? Oh, I've, I used to have to go up there every year because that was part of our, our trip to Washington. We'd stop in Chicago. Gotcha. But we're actually uh, – I think we're going to make a change on that this year. In fact, I know we're making a change on that this year. We're going to stop at Shed Aquarium instead. Um, but, yeah, I used to have to go up there every year, and I did not enjoy a single one of them. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I actually okay. hmm. like the Willis Tower. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It just I don't like the feeling of knowing oh, that sure. it's moving. Sure. So, uh, the Willis Tower is really nice. The Arnold Tower is a little bit shorter though. Oh, Which one's gosh. that? The talking the, about drum, the drum the Drummond Towers. <laughs> What's that? You know, here's the thing that you got to understand, Rude, that the world don't move to the beat of just one drum. What might what what, what might be right for you might not, may be, not right be right for, for some. some. That's right. That's right. A man is born. He's a man of means. Then along come two. I got Okay, that's uh, <laughs> You get upset with me for singing, you people. Uh, I wasn't singing. I was doing more of a Shatner sort of uh, impersonation. Do not go back to that. Please do not. I will mute you if you do that. I am ready for it. 
boy. He's thinking about it. He's he's working on it. I, I he doesn't you know. know I'm I don't him. like to be tested, Rude. <laughs> I don't like to be tested. <laughs> I have the power of the mute button. Oh boy. <laughs> and uh, lastly, Rude, you want to take this one? I suppose I can do this one. Yeah. October 25th of 1978, moviegoers in Kansas City, Missouri, attend the premiere of John Carpenter's low-budget horror film titled, appropriately enough for the season, Halloween. You know, um, Jamie Lee Curtis uh, just finished rapping uh, in Wilmington. Apparently they are doing, I'm wanting, to, I'm wanting to say they're doing another Halloween movie. In Wilmington, North Carolina, they just uh, finished her stuff. I don't know if they're still working on it or not, but uh, it was some. I'm wanting to say it was Halloween, but it was probably. Um, um, I don't know if it was just another horror movie, but. Huh. It probably is. Um, but moving on, we actually happen to have a uh, special guest on today's episode. We have um, our first female guest on the show. We Woo! do well. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And, uh, yeah, some sort of argument to be made there. There is not. I, I was gonna. <laughs> I was trying to decide if I wanted to make fun, like call Hatfield feminine of some sort, but I didn't want to have that happen to me. <laughs> yeah, you've got that one queued up with the crickets. It took you half an hour to find. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> what? what's happening? Someone, you, I think you need to have a chaperone in there to just kind of like cut you off. <laughs> you're just probably a hand. No, you're you're right. I I probably do, but that's the problem. Is I, I, I oh oh here's a good one. Bye, Felicia. <laughs> oh, great. That's a good one. Oh my lord, there's a bunch of really good stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to sound effects we won't be using on this show. <laughs> The irony is, we already have. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> okay, I'll stop because I know what happens if I don't. Oh, goodness. Anyway, we have a uh, uh, another guest. This will be our third. Yeah. Yep. Guest on the History Bros podcast, and uh, and it's nice to finally bring in um, female historians slash actors yeah. onto the uh, onto the show. So um, yeah, this will be this will be an interesting conversation to have. I think. Yeah, the uh, our guest tonight is Alex Wood. She is with Ford's Theater. Um, I'll let her do a proper introduction of her title herself. Um, but uh, Alex, uh, I've gotten to know her a little bit through some of the programs that I'm in, and uh, she's just a really, really good resource for talking about uh, the assassination, but also the theater itself, which I, I think is kind of what we want to get into. The story of the theater is just interesting. And uh, I, I think uh, I think you two are going to really enjoy the conversation we're able to have with her, and uh, yeah. I know I'm looking forward to it. So yeah, I'm very much looking forward to this. So yeah, yeah I think uh, coming from a from a sort of a, a living museum to a degree is uh, will be a fascinating discussion to have. Oh, without yep. a doubt. So I'll tell you what, I think it's time we bring her on. Let's take a quick break, get everything set up. Uh, I'll put the soundboard away. And uh, when we come back, uh, we'll we'll have our our guest. Thank you. Sounds good. Affleck. Okay. <laughs> Seriously, dude. <laughs> we'll be back right after this. 
Back we are from the break, and it is time to delve into our main topic for the evening. And to do that, we have brought in a, uh, a special guest, um, so much so, and we warned her we were going to do this to her. She is an expert in the field, and we're putting a lot of pressure. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, she is, but uh, joining us from Ford's Theater is uh, Alex Wood. And uh, I got to know Alex here a few years ago when I went to the Teaching Institute out there. You two get to meet her today now for the first time. Uh, but Alex, thank you for joining us here in the History Bros, and uh, hopefully we don't let you down. <laughs> My pleasure to be here. <laughs> well, well, first of all, uh, I just want to find out, Alex, what is your role at uh, Ford's Theater? So I am the Education Programs Manager, and I do our field trip programs and our teacher professional development institutes in the summertime and our distance learning programs. Nice. What is a, what does the distance learning entail? So that's our video conferencing programming where we're able to connect with classrooms around the country and around the world, if, if anybody asks. Um, but we're able to video call into classrooms and sort of help bring Fords to them if they can't get here themselves. Nice. Awesome. Very nice. How, about how many classes do you have that uh, that come to a, to, to tour or uh, to come visit Ford's Theater a year? Would you um, say? I don't know how many classes, but we get something like two hundred and fifty thousand students a year. Oh wow! That's nice. Awesome. Now, yeah. does that include visitors to the actual site then, or is that just the online? Oh, that was just on site. Online, we get uh, a few thousand, I think. Okay. And is that, well, and, see, that's why we got, part of why we've got her here. We can help spread that with the, the tens of people that listen to us. That's right. <laughs> we've got some people in Germany from what we understand. So that should be, uh, that should be helpful. Um, how, now, how long have you worked at, uh, at Fort's Theater? Uh, just about six years in the education department, but I actually started out um, as a production assistant backstage. Oh, really? Oh. Ah, so nice. you know, you know that place inside and out. I do. So here, here's kind of where I, I kind of want to start with this. Um, you know, we've had 45 presidents, but when you ask somebody about their favorite president, more often than not, they say Lincoln, and he's held with such high regard. You know, of course, you know, everybody knows the story of the assassination and whatnot, but I guess I'm curious, Alex, in your opinion, why does Lincoln get the, uh, the notoriety that he does, I guess? Hmm. That's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think because he, because he had such a hard job. I mean, the president of the United States is never an easy job, but we've only had one civil war and he was president through it. And we have his speeches and his writings and we have other people's accounts of what he was like and when we think about how careful he was with his decision-making and his care with the people around him, both you know his cabinet members, but also just average people, um, he, his humanity, I think, is really special. And mm -hmm. that's always the hardest part for us to think about when we are studying the presidents. But we have a lot of really amazing glimpses into the man that Lincoln was in addition to the leader he was. And he just, I think he, he was such a good example for what a good leader could be 
Mm. And then he really happens to capture our imagination also. Yeah, mm. no, no doubt about that. Well, was your um, was your was your working at Ford's Theater? Did you were you interested in Lincoln or or history prior to working at Ford's Theater, or was the experience of working there sort of what led you into history? Uh, the experience of working here led me into history. I started out uh, in the theater world, and so I came to Ford's Theater as a theater person, and being here learned the story of the place and the story of the assassination. And then through my work here, I've gotten more and more immersed in Civil War history and the historiography of the Civil War. And mm. it's really exciting. But uh, the summer teacher institutes are really cool because I actually think I learn as much, if not more, than the teachers who attend every year. Mm. <laughs> OK. If you were to. Um... Is there something that, like, for example, if someone is being introduced to Ford's Theater or Lincoln, uh, is there something that you would recommend as a good starting off point for people to be able to read or watch or something like that to um, to get them introduced to it? Uh, Manhunt uh, mm -hmm. by James Swanson is great. It's such a page turner and it really gets you into the nitty gritty of the assassination and the conspiracy and the manhunt for John Wilkes Booth. Um, but to really get into Ford's and to get into Lincoln and the life of Lincoln, I think the best thing you could do is to visit. Mm. Mm. I'll second that. Um, you know, and, and I'm a little biased. I have spent a lot of time um, at the theater and in what they call the CEL, the, the, is it center for education and learning? Is that, is that right? And leadership. And leadership, close. You know, and, and so, I mean, that place, it, it's got a special, I mean, I, I almost feel like I'm renting, renting a second home in, in that, that place with as much as I'm out there anymore. But yeah, it's, there is something to be said about the space that, uh, you know, that, that all the players occupied and being there and, and seeing that. Um, and then, you know, uh, you guys have done a really good job I think of, of trying to tell the story. And I know there's honestly, that's a, a really good question is what you guys do to keep leg Lincoln's le legacy alive, both with the museum, the theater itself, and then some of the programming, I guess maybe we should talk about, uh, about that and, and how Ford's keeps legacies, Lincoln's legacy alive. Yeah. Well, so one of the things that I think is really cool about Ford's theater is we're still a working theater. Um, and so when you come to Ford's Theater, you can go to the museum, you can learn the history, um, but you also might be able to see a play. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> when you see a play at Ford's Theater, you're doing what Lincoln loved to do. Lincoln came to Ford's Theater more than just that one night. Um, he'd actually seen John Wilkes Booth perform at Ford's Theater a couple years earlier. Um, and then there are sort of accounts and diaries that suggest that Lincoln may have come to Ford's Theater 10 or 12 times over the course of his presidency um, to watch rehearsals. Sometimes he'd sneak in the back. Sometimes he would come officially, you know, and sit in the VIP box. Um, but the theater was a real place of respite for Lincoln. And he read plays. He memorized passages of Shakespeare. Um, and of course, he was a great humorist and he loved to laugh. So coming to Ford's theater 
on April 14, 1865, to see a comedy and to relax and laugh and enjoy the end of the war, um, to be able to come to Ford's Theater today and laugh and maybe see a musical or see something that, you know, it might not have anything to do with Lincoln or the Civil War or American history, but by being in the theater and doing what Lincoln loved to do, we're honoring him in this unique way. It, yeah, it just it there. I agree with you. And there's, ah, man, I'm getting tongue tied. I like this topic a lot, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, Ford's does some really, really amazing productions. And, and you know, here's the other thing: I'm amazed at the, um, the the theaters, not theaterscape, but the landscape of theaters, so to speak. Or um, the atmosphere of theater in Washington D.C. There's some pretty amazing theaters and some pretty amazing actors and actresses in Washington D.C. Oh yeah, we have a huge theater scene here. Yeah, and uh, of course my 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 all time favorite, and he's really not around all that much, was uh, um, Kevin McAllister. I kind of brought it up a couple years ago, or not a couple episodes ago. Not the one from from Home Alone. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I was just about ready to go into that, but uh, I'm glad you stopped me. No, but Alex knows who I'm talking about. Knows why yeah. I'm impressed with him because Kevin is he's amazing. He's a six foot two uh, guy with a, a voice from the heavens. So. Yeah, Kevin's really cool. And he defended a home from two different invaders. Right. <laughs> Zeke yeah, went back, went back, yep. went back to it. Now, it, remind me, just because I, he's working with Come From Away now on Broadway, isn't he? Yeah, I saw, you know, they came and did the Tiny Desk concert at NPR, mm-hmm. and I saw him there in the ensemble, and I was like, oh, that's Kevin. That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, of course, I mean, there's there's all kinds. Of, well, uh, one, the, one of the better, well, I should say one of the better, they're all really good, but one of my favorites was 1776, which I know, um, Hatfield, you, you did that. Uh, not at, at Ford's mm. Theater, of not course. Not at Ford's, but, uh, no. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> in fact, I think the time that I was in Ford's Theater, I think they had the stage set to do 1776. I'm sure they've done it more than once in that particular space. I think but, we've um, done it yeah. twice. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. In but, the yeah, last this was... 15 years. Yep. Yeah, that, that was actually my first performance there in the theater, and uh, – yeah, the ensemble did a, a wonderful job. It just it was it was really good. But well, oh, let's awesome. let's let's talk about uh, the try to uh, to talk about the history of the space itself for a while. Mm-hmm. So it was a theater, um, and it was called Ford's Theater after is it John T. Ford? Is mm-hmm. that correct? John T. Ford and his brothers, and Ford actually had uh, several theaters in the area. He had an opera house up in Baltimore and. Um, so when he opened Ford's Theater here in Washington, D.C., he was, you know, I mean, he was a practical businessman. He was really trying to make um, a success of this. And uh, there was a fire um, that really scorched out the theater, really destroyed it. So we had to rebuild. Um, and this was all during the Civil War. And then uh, so he rebuilt it. He opened it as Ford's new theater. Um, and then it had a short life until um, Lincoln was assassinated there on April 14th, 1865. Um, And then it was closed as a crime scene. And Matthew Brady went in there and took crime scene photographs, which we have, and they're amazing. Mm. Um, And they had to put soldiers out on the front um, 
to guard the building because there were rumors that uh, people would come and try to burn the building to the ground because it just, this horrific sight of tragedy just needed to be obliterated in these people's minds. And so they protected the building. Um, they completed that portion of the investigation. And then they gave the building back over to the Fords and the Fords tried to put on a show. Um, they had had a show scheduled for April 15th. And of course it didn't go on on April 15th. And so they tried to open it again later when they got their feeder back. And again, people just didn't wanna go. Um, mm. They weren't ready to return back to normal, I guess, or sort of go back to that place and not be haunted by the tragedy that happened there. So. Um, there was another arson threat against the building uh, saying, you know, if you ever put another play on this stage, we'll burn the building to the ground. And so the Fords ended up selling the building to the government. Um, and then the government stuck with this building, didn't really know what to do with it. They weren't going to try and do theater. Uh, they gutted the entire building. Um, so the exterior walls remained, but the inside was completely gutted. And they turned it into a pension records office. Uh, and actually there was a bit of an argument that by housing Civil War pension records in this building, they were honoring President Lincoln because he cared so much about the soldiers and, and sort of their welfare. So to kind of continue some of his work and legacy by being a place where taking, continuing to take care of the soldiers and the veterans was happening was um, part of the spirit of that decision. Uh, totally fascinating. The top floor of the building that was Ford's Theater during this period had another museum, uh, which was one of the early homes of the Army Medical Museum. And this museum still exists today. It's the National Museum of Health and Medicine. Um, I might have that name slightly wrong, but uh, right. they're up in Bethesda now. And that museum has all kinds of like body parts and specimens and bones and mm -hmm. bits of medical advances that all started during the Civil War. So um, it's sort of a grisly museum, but it was up there on the third floor of, of the Ford's Theater building for a period of time um, between 1867 and 1887, I think. Is this the same location where the the guy, the, the general donated his leg? That's Yes. Yeah. yeah. I don't oh, know okay. if that I don't know if that if the leg ha was at Ford's Theater, but I think it's the same museum. <laughs> yeah. Have you um Alex, have you been to that museum up there? No, I haven't. It's I want to go, but it's crazy. I, I haven't. <laughs> it's uh, a couple of years ago I was up there and it's yeah, it's it's interesting. It's very very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so Well, so one of my favorite stories about that museum being at Ford's Theater is um one of that one of the docents, one of the tour guides was a Civil War veteran and a part of him was on display. Oh, so wow. he'd been shot in the arm and the doctor had been able to save his arm by removing part of the bone. And <laughs> so that bone fragment was on display in this museum. So this guy was working in the museum and he could like give a tour and say like, and that is me. <laughs> wow. Crazy. It's wild, right? Oh yeah. Talk absolutely. about dedication, giving yourself <laughs> over to your work, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Um, too soon, too soon. Okay. 
Well, so, okay, so that was that was sort of the first iteration of its life after the assassination. Then in 1893, there was a second tragedy at Ford's Theater. Um, they were excavating around in the basement to do some construction work. And apparently there'd been lots of complaints about the building being unsound and unsafe. Um, but they were still doing this work during the workday, so it was full of full of office workers. Um, and they just lodged this support column in the basement, and three stories collapsed. So this oh my huge God. hole um, towards the back of the theater just collapsed, and um, 22 people died, and 60 wow. more were injured. Um, and it was just devastating. And the newspaper accounts um, after that uh, that second tragedy were really, really horrifying. And then it sort of brought back a lot of the sort of sentiments of, oh, this building must be cursed because all of these mm. tragedies keep happening here. Mm -hmm. mm. Um, so, so was this curse sort of, um, I mean, I, I would imagine that they were wanting to, you had, like you said, after the assassination took place that there were people that wanted to burn it down or to, you know, torch it or whatever. Um, were, did it really, face the possibility of being raised uh, a number of times during the course of its history post-assassination? Uh, yeah, there were definitely people that had different intentions for the building. But for everyone that wanted to just obliterate it, get rid of it altogether, there was always somebody who wanted to restore it. Mm. Um, so this tension about what to do with this place um, has existed for its whole life post-assassination. Um, and, and the efforts to restore the building actually started in the early 20th century. So after this collapse, they repaired the building, turned it still back into a three-story office building. And, um, and then in the 1920s, this sort of renewed interest in restoring the uh, the building to be about Lincoln in particular. And so there was this uh, move to get a Lincoln museum on the first floor. And um, there was a lot of conversation about what would be on display in that museum. Um, and then there was conversation about, well, would we restore the theater or would it just be a museum? And so um, it ended up there, sort of those tensions didn't really get resolved until the 1930s. Um, in the 1930s, the National Park Service got custody of Ford's Theater and the Peterson House, which is the boarding house directly across the street where President Lincoln actually died. Sure. And, um, and the Park Service had the Lincoln Museum on the first floor of this three-story office building. And people started visiting it. And this museum displayed a whole lot of stuff that wasn't necessarily related to the assassination. So it told a much broader story of Lincoln's life and his time as president. And it had a lot of memorabilia, um, funeral ribbons, pins, election stuff. It had, you know, people collected Lincoln things, mm -hmm. you know, since, since wow. he was alive. Oh yeah. Um, mm. And so like these things were finding their way into this museum. I, it wasn't until the 1960s that the push to really restore the theater to be a theater and to look as it did on mm. the night that Lincoln was assassinated um, really got through. And so um, in the 1960s, they gutted the whole building again. They were able to use those crime scene photographs that Matthew Brady had taken. 
they had a historic buildings report, and then of course they had people's really rich and colorful descriptions of what the interior of the theater looked like. Because you know, before you were taking snapshots on your phone, you would actually spend the time to describe what you saw. <laughs> um, and so, uh, Oh, yellow trim and yellow doors and you know all of those colors and everything we don't have photographs of the colors but we have people's descriptions of it mm, sure um so the theater reopened in 1968 and at that time um like while the theater was being renovated uh ford's theater society was founded to produce the plays on stage so in the 1960s the conversation about what would this place be would it be a shrine to the assassination? Does that run a risk of being a monument to John Wilkes Booth? Mm. Um, what can we do in this oh. site of tragedy that would keep the focus on Lincoln, keep the conversation about his life and his legacy? Um, and the answer was for it to be a working theater and for there to be plays on stage and to, you know, again, really embrace something that Lincoln loved during his lifetime. And, um, and sort of bring all of those emotions and all of those human experiences and stories that we can tell into this place. So we've been a working theater for a little over 50 years now. Wow, now, do you, do you rent the space out to other companies or is it specifically no. just one group that, uh, that performs there? No, so we're a, um, we're a regional theater and we produce our own shows. So we produce okay. four main stage shows uh, season and we are a union house. We have equity actors and stage management and IATSE stagehands, um, and we uh, and IATSE um, wardrobe crew. And so we're we're a union house, and uh, we don't rent the space out, and we don't host traveling um, traveling performances. We don't. We're not a roadhouse in that way. There's a couple other theaters in town who who are and who really play that circuit. Hmm. Now you guys, you guys have an actual season, though, correct? Or maybe it's just three mm -hmm. seasons. Is that how it works? I want to say there's like three productions a year. Is it maybe four or even? So it's four total. We do a fall play um, in September, October, and then we do a Christmas Carol every year, and that's been a running tradition for over thirty-five years here. Cool. Um, the current production of a Christmas Carol that we have on stage uh, is, I think, in its. It's been running for over 10 years, so the same costumes and same scripts and same scene changes and all of that that we've had for, for over 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, and then we do a winter show, and that, that one is usually a play, but sometimes it's a musical. Um, and then we do a big spring musical um, that starts in late March and runs all the way through mid-May. Okay. Now, as a, as a little uh, kind of actor side note, um, I uh, used to work at a historic theater in Wilmington, North Carolina, Thalian Hall, that I think uh, Ford had leased for a time after Lincoln's assassination. Oh, cool! And yeah, and it's uh, it's also it was built in eighteen fifty. If if Tony Rivenbark's listening to me, he'll, I'm sure he'll kill me if I get this wrong. But it's like it was in the 1850s that it opened and it has gone through some fires and, uh, you know, restorations and things like that as well. And I'm just curious, um, does Ford's Theater, this is probably 
going nowhere. But does um, Ford's Theater have? Is it? Do they have a fly loft? Do they have mm-hmm. um, a like the? What were some of the? Is there anything original? Like for example, Thalian has uh, an original Thunder Roll, and oh. um, yeah, it's. I think it's the only original one left in North America. I yeah. think. And does are there any sort of original um, aspects of uh, the theatrical design that are still in place, still working, that kind of stuff? So short answer, no, uh, because remember, the whole theater was completely gutted Mm -hmm. like three times. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's no original theatrical components. Okay. when they when they built when they redid the theater in the 1960s, they did try to make it as historically accurate as possible. So it was um, what you would call a hemp house. So all of the rigging was hemp rope rigging. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, That kind of rigging is super old school and it takes a lot of artistry and strength and safety precautions and skill to run shows on that. Um, but then that also posed a lot of limitations for contemporary theater techniques and designs. And, um, you know, it, it limited our ability to do automation, which is when you computerize moving pieces of scenery and stuff like that. So um, we actually did a big, uh, we did another renovation in 2009. Um, and we reopened the theater just in time for Lincoln's 200th birthday um and we modernized and sort of revamped a lot of stuff to make the theater more viable for contemporary audiences Mm. so we did away with the hemp house stuff uh and we moved the stage management booth all the way up into the second balcony which used to be called the family circle so that they would have a straight view of the stage and they wouldn't be tucked away backstage in the corner that's where the spotlight operators are now too um and we and we also uh updated our ability to do automation so we're able to do that more Um, and the other thing that's actually really important for all our audiences is we put in historically flavored, so they look right, um, but historically inaccurate seating for the audience. (laughs) So, so it looks really good. It looks like it could be historically appropriate, but it's not. So back in the 1860s, everyone in the orchestra and in the dress circle just sat on like wooden chairs. Mm. Um, and they didn't have fire codes, so they didn't have to worry about aisles and they just smushed <laughs> everybody in. Um, and then the family circle was all bench seating. So then they extra smushed people in into the family circle. And so that was how they were able to cram like 1500 people into Ford's theater in 1865. Well, we don't do that anymore. Mm. Um, <laughs> but so when they opened the theater in the 1960s, they had these wooden chairs and modern audiences found them to be really uncomfortable and so then very soon after they added little cushions like seat cushions that you would get for like your dining room chairs Mm -hmm. Uh, modern audiences are so soft (laughs) i mean we don't have quite as many like petticoats and suit jackets i guess (laughs) so um anyway so for the 2009 renovation we put in like comfortable theater seats that are a little bit more what you would see in a contemporary theater today so the seating is totally inaccurate, but it's much 
more amenable to our contemporary audiences. But, you know, that seating has taken on its own history now because you do get some pretty big names and some pretty impressive names as far as uh, famous guests that come in and watch. And you guys have done a good job of marking those seats where those people have sat because I've seen it. I mean, uh, there's multiple presidents. There's multiple uh, other dignitaries. So, I mean, there's some history within those seats, even though it's not necessarily accurate to to the time period. Yeah, yeah. So every president since President Ford has come to Ford's Theater. Cool. Oh, wow. And um, students always ask me, like, so do they get to sit in the presidential box? And <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> They're not. I, it didn't work you know out what? so well. As, as cool as that would be, I would be very, very paranoid uh-huh. that entire time. That would be, yeah. be kind of like, you know, this is maybe a little unlucky. And I mean, I mean, not that there's any sort of, um, you know, in theater, no one's ever, you know, paranoid or, you know, uh, thinking of the what's the word? Um, superstitious. Yeah. Superstitious. There's no superstitions. Uh, there's oh, no. I'm it's curious how many pages and pages and pages of books of chapters of tricks. Right. And I'm, I'm curious, based on the history, how many productions of Macbeth have been used, have been done at, uh, at Ford's Theater? Oh, you know, maybe none. Ah, see, there we go. I wonder. There we go. Yeah. I don't, I would have to, so I don't know our entire production history in my head, but I don't, I don't think we've ever done the Scottish play. Hmm. See, see, she says the Scottish play. She's a, she's a theater person. I'm a theater person and I'm looking, I'm looking at the front of Ford's theater. I'm not even in the theater and I still can't, I still can't say the name. So, well, let me ask you, what is, uh, what is it like trying to balance um, being a historic site? And I guess, did we, I don't think we asked this yet, but uh, balancing a historic site with, uh, with being a working theater, because it is part museum and it is part, um, obviously, working theater. What's it like trying to maintain that balance? Uh, I think it's, I, I mean, I love that that is our sort of purpose and mission it's definitely unique definitely um but so the ford's theater and the peterson house are national park service properties and so we have nps rangers here who do an excellent job interpreting the history um and then the ford's theater society which is who i work for um we produce the shows and then we also do a whole lot of the education programming and we work with our park service partners really closely to interpret the story um, develop the exhibits and make sure that when people come to Ford's theater, they, they really get the full, the full treatment, right. From the history all the way through a theatrical experience. Um, so it's really exciting. It also presents some challenges, right? You know, we, we are a historic site and we are a site of national tragedy. And so we always need to be careful to, be respectful of the space that we're in, to be respectful of the memory that we uphold here. Um, mm. We're committed to exploring the American experience and different American experiences through our theater work. Um, we're committed to understand or seeking to understand you know, the Civil War and how complex it was and how its legacies still reverberate today. Mm-hmm. Um, and. And then we have, you know, so we have this 
mission ourselves to pursue all of that. And then we have all of these visitors who come to Fords and, and for whatever reason, they only know half of us, right? Like they only know us as a theater or they only know us as a historic site. So I'll be mm. standing in the lobby and the theater will be closed to visitors because there's a tech rehearsal on stage. And, you know, you have this family who's come from Nevada. So they've traveled 2000 miles across the country and they just want to see Ford's theater and we can't let them in. Right. <laughs> um, and that's heartbreaking, you know, so we, we try to, um, we try to have a really strong online presence so we can at least do like a virtual tour of the inside of the theater or, um, you know, help them see it. Although, you know, it's, it's always amazing to see the real deal. Uh, sure. Or, you know, conversely, we have people come see the play and they go, wait, you have a museum downstairs? Right. <laughs> We're like, yeah, there's a lot of really cool stuff in there. I mean, please tell me no one's shown up and gone, what happened here exactly? <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have, uh, I ha sometimes I hear audience members say, wait, so this is where Lincoln was shot? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wait, so he that's, was sitting right there? Yes. That's when you go, well, well, do you mean by shot? Do you mean the Spielberg film? Because no, that was not no. that was not shot here, but the actual <laughs> Um What what is what would you classify when you're talking about uh showing it the due respect and things like that? What would be something that um to that would be considered, I guess, disrespectful to to be shown or performed or or something like that at Ford's Theater. So we do not reenact the assassination. Mm. <laughs> um, that's, that's good. That's good. I can yeah. see that. People ask about it, though. They ask, no, so are we going to see a reenactment? Are we going to see, you know, and if you think about it, you know, there's reenactments of battles. Mm -hmm. And those are horrible. I mean, the, the reenactment isn't necessarily that horribly graphic, but the original battle was, right? So... Mm -hmm. How how come there's a line between reenacting battles but reenacting an assassination? Well, there is one, and so we're not going to reenact the assassination here at Ford's Theater. Um, and the other thing that we we aren't going to do is we're not going to do a full production of Our American Cousin. <laughs> I, was, I was honestly going to ask that. I was honestly like, yeah, okay, since we're not doing the Scottish play, have you ever, okay. That's... I mean, I don't know if we would, we might, I, sorry, that was probably really loud. I think I just hit the mic. Um, okay. if, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if we would ne never do the Scottish play, but, you know, there are other theaters in town that, that do Shakespeare, and I think. Sure. Um, and we, our, our mission is to, uh, explore the American experience. So we try to, try to do American playwrights and American artists and American stories. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, our American cousin is an interesting conundrum because again, people are like, so do you do it? Like what, what's it like? <laughs> uh, and the, the problem is it's, it's really dated. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So it did not hold up over 150 years really well um so the jokes just aren't that funny the the things that delighted the audiences in 1865 do not delight audiences today um, i don't know when i've been at like you know dinner parties i'll throw out you sockdologizing old man trap and it always gets a wonderful <laughs> laugh I had a, you need I had to a... hang out with different people <laughs> well so so I had a field trip of uh, second graders this morning and they were like, what was the line? So I recited it for them and they literally crickets. They looked at me <laughs> and they were like, these days they don't know the classics. Well, and, <laughs> they were like, what 
did you just say? And I was like, and that's why. <laughs> yeah. We don't do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'd imagine that would not be uh, the same draw as, say, like, you know, Greece or, you know, God forbid, Our Town or something along those lines. So, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, you were talking about the museum a little bit and, and um, you know, uh, that that side of it. What kind of artifacts do you have available in the museum? Because I, I mean, obviously, I know the answer to that, but I'm curious, I'd like to get that out there as far as what you can actually see uh, in that museum. So we have um, the Derringer pistol that Booth used to assassinate Lincoln. Oh wow! Um, and then there's a whole lot of other artifacts that were collected as evidence in the assassination conspiracy trial. Um, so there, we have a, we have a bunch of weapons and, uh, we have John Wilkes Booth's boot, um, that came off his broken leg. Uh, and we have his diary. You mean, so he wait, was wait, on wait. the run for 12 days and he kept a diary and he was sort of describing wait, 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 what wait, he wait. thought. Wait huh? a minute. Are you talking about the one from <laughs> National Treasure? <laughs> I haven't seen that movie. <laughs> oh! I don't blame you. It's okay. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Hold on a second. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Have you have you seen Pearl Harbor? Yes. Oh, oh no! no! <laughs> Sorry, that's another ongoing joke that we have in this. So, okay, never mind. And on that note, we need to take a quick break here. We'll be right back with more History Bros. Right after this. Back we are on the History Bros podcast, and uh, you know I think uh, Hatfield, you've got a, a question you've been dying to ask, burning to ask. I don't know, dying and burning, whatever. Anyway, go ahead, uh, Mister Hatfield. Um, so, th- so you have his boot, mm-hmm. like um, the where was? Uh, so was this the boot of that was during this assassination attempt that he broke his leg in? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So when he broke okay. his leg, uh, on, the, so he broke his leg either as he jumped out of the box and landed on the stage, or the other version of the story is that um, at some point between leaving Ford's Theater and arriving at Doctor Mudd's house, his horse his horse fell on him and he broke his ankle that way. Mm. Um, hmm. Both versions of the story came from Booth. So when he arrived at Doctor Mudd's house to get his leg set, he told Dr. Mudd that his horse had fallen on him. So that's what Dr. Mudd said, he said. Um, and then in his diary, he wrote that he broke his leg jumping out of the box. Um, hmm. So oh. historians like to argue about which is true. Sure. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, so he went to the doctor's house and the doctor had to get his boot off of the broken, swollen ankle. Um, and he set his leg and then they left the boot behind under the bed. Interesting. Wow. Mm. Yeah. So, so a lot of the artifacts were collected as evidence. So as the investigation and as the soldiers were were chasing him down and they collected these things to sort of stay on his trail and then they were part of the trial. So that's sort of, you know, when we think about how does something become an artifact, mm-hmm. like how does somebody's stuff become a historical artifact right <laughs> exactly it's wow. really interesting right so yeah. this all was collected as evidence what what is the most interesting artifact that's there in in your mind or that you find the most fascinating 
Uh, one of the artifacts I like to spend a lot of time with when I'm bringing kids through the museum is um, Tad's toy sword. Mm. Um, mm. And it's, it's made out of metal, so it looks like a real sword. And that's always a really big surprise. Mm. Um, wow. But it's child-sized. And, uh, you know, so kids a lot of times will ask if it belonged to Lincoln. And I'm like, how tall was Lincoln? Is that sword <laughs> the right size for President Lincoln? And they're like, no. <laughs> um, but again, I mean, that's, that's an artifact that allows us to get into the humanity of Lincoln, right? So he was this great, amazing president, but he was also a father and a husband. And he had a family. And um, but so I like, I like the sword. Um, and then we have... Uh, we also have, um, like the original door mm, that yep. Booth passed through to get to Lincoln. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Um, now was this the one that did he, he drilled a hole in that he could peek through? So there was, was that... a peephole, but Booth did not drill it himself. Ah, okay. Uh -huh. Someone trying to push an agenda in history, I see. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's because, so the, uh, you know, I mean, it was the VIP box. So at some point, the Fords or one of their um, stagehands had drilled this little hole so they could spy on their guests and make sure they were enjoying themselves. Mm. So it was a convenient, a convenience for John Wilkes Booth when he got there. Ah, okay. I see. And, and they they actually um, had the actors come back to perform the show all over again yeah. for for uh, Stanton, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. After the uh, um, like, because in the in the midst of the investigation, he had them perform the. I get was it the entire show or just that scene or do you I know think it was the entire show? Okay. Because Oof, Stanton was trying to figure Oof. out, you know, okay, who was where exactly when. Mm. And so, wow. you know, really wow. blocking through every moment. Sure. Because that the other thing that's so wild is, you know, I mean, this was the first time a president had been assassinated in this country. And so it was unfathomable in a way that's basically impossible for us to imagine. Mm -hmm. um, but it was so surprising. I mean, this famous actor who everyone recognized got to President Lincoln, no questions asked, mm. assassinated him, jumped out of the box, ran across a stage in front of 1,500 people, and got away. <laughs> like, how, how? I mean, it's wild to try and imagine. And, and just this whole notion that it was so surprising and that people saw John Wilkes Booth and thought perhaps this was part of the show. Like everyone was so confused for the precious number of seconds it took for him to get his head start. Sure. Right. And, wow. and there's, wow. there's, um, it, it, we've talked about this on the podcast before where there have been times in U.S. history where the nation has such a tragedy that they do not know how to respond to it. And so therefore they overreact. And then it's kind of like because there were people that were being uh, lynched if they looked like John Wilkes Booth oh, yeah, um, after this after this um, after this attack. And there's um, there uh, there's one or two uh, uh, videos that you can find online that are considered uh, people wormholes is what they're called. What? And it's basically like when you have uh, someone who was there 
in that sort of situation. Uh, and there was one where they interviewed a kid. Uh, uh, well, he was an older gentleman. This was in the 19, I'm wanting to say 1950s or 1960. I guess it was, I, I guess it was 1950s. And he's being interviewed on television and he was a young child when, and he was in Ford's theater when the assassination took place. This is the guy oh, from the game show. The game show. Yeah. The yeah, game yeah, show, yeah. I've got a secret. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And to, to sit there and kind of be in that proximity with someone who witnessed that event. I mean, because like, and uh, Alex, you were sort of uh, talking about this where the kid was like, he just thought that it was part of the show. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he had no idea of the magnitude of what it is that he had just, uh, that he had just witnessed. And right. um, having that sort of, the the person to relay what this experience was like from a firsthand um, uh, point of view is just it's absolutely fascinating. Mm -hmm. hmm. Alex, you talked at one point about the conversation after um, the office building was taken down and it was decided that Ford's would be a theater again. Mm -hmm. You'd mentioned that there was a debate on whether it would end up being a monument to John Wilkes Booth. Mm -hmm. And I think this talks... Um, specifically most recently in the last few years about monuments, you know, Confederate memorials. And it's weird to think that this argument has come up even so early as the, uh, you know, as the sixties, it sounds like, um, how, what were the discussions? Are you familiar with what discussions were? What was the viewpoint and how did they ultimately decide, yes, we should make this look how it looked? Um, so those conversations about, you know, what the, what preserving that building would mean, you know, I mean, they went back all the way to the 1860s. Right. Um, yeah. But I think, So I don't, I'm, I know we, so we have a few uh, letters that we've been made aware of um, from the twenties and thirties talking about whether or not to display the assassination artifacts, which mm -hmm. we have on display today. Um, but there was tension about that. You know, there's a tension when you're talking about violence and tragedy, you know, do you, like, why is that stuff interesting to us? You know, why is true crime so fascinating to us? Mm. Is it healthy? Is it weird? Is it macabre? Um, do people want to see these artifacts because of the, you know, why is it that we want to see these things? Why is it so powerful to see the Derringer? Um, and, you know, I mean, it's this, it's this object that's connected to this moment of tremendous violence and tragedy, Right. but it was 150 years ago. So does time play into that? So, you know, is it okay for us to look at that gun, but it's less okay for us to look at the gun that was used to assassinate Kennedy? Are we ready to see that on display in a museum? Um, and I think, 
you know, so I mean, it, it kind of, I think, but I think the Lincoln assassination sort of stands apart from Confederate memorials because the question about what to do with Ford's theater was about whether to save it or to tear it down. And mm. the other monuments and memorials were, were built up, right? They were raised. So the decision was to put something there. Sure, 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 sure. It's one is sort of to preserve a historical event, whereas the other seems to be more to honor or glorify a cause, I guess. Yeah, and both are connected because both are about how do we tell this story. Sure. But, right. you know, I think how do we, you know, for whatever reason, Ford's theater wasn't just torn down. Like, even though the inside was gutted, the exterior remained the same. So when you look at a photo of it from 1870, it looks the same today. Mm -hmm. Um and so, yeah, there's a, there's a connection to the place that, you know, it's still sort of important to be there to think about this moment that had such an impact on the course of history, on the course of the end of the war. Mm. Do you think that it's connection to the end? Yeah, to the end of the Civil War? Like, for example, you bring up an interesting point uh, pertaining to um kennedy like you know why don't they have you know the rifle and you know that kind of stuff you know is it is it okay to you know kind of look at that and not this do you think it's just the overall loss of life in the civil war that kind of makes this more i guess agreeable than having something like i guess maybe and maybe there is similar for uh for john f kennedy I mean, I think, yeah. honestly, I think it is more about time and distance. Sure. Um, yeah. And, you know, we can look at other tragedies that are happening in our world that, you know, this year and think about how people are treating those spaces and those stories. And um, a really good example is the, uh, the, um, 9-11 memorial in New York mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and how you know they went to work on building that and that museum really quickly after the event and there was so much care taken with how to be respectful of the victims how to to honor the survivors how to care for the families of the people who were most directly affected. And they, they had to work really hard to sort of reach a place where they were comfortable with the choices they were making, but still mm. not everyone is pleased. Sure. You know, there's yeah. still somebody who, you know, who isn't ready for their story or their part of the story to be in a museum for somebody else to see. Mm. And so as we see this tragedy turn into history and as we welcome into our classrooms and our spaces, these generations of people who weren't alive for it, 
the kinds of questions they ask are different than the kinds of questions than we asked. Sure. Right? So when you get a century away from something, people are ready to see it, right? They want to actually see the theater. Sure. Seeing the theater doesn't feel as sacrilegious as it did, you know, a hundred days after the event. Right. Sure. Right. No, I think that I think you bring up a good point there, though. You're exactly right. Time heals most wounds, right? If not all wounds, right? And uh, yeah, you know, and that's the thing. Like you, I think, like you're, I, Alex, I think you're absolutely right. You know, it's one thing if if uh, an event happens and I know what it is, and uh, I think about it, and I, you know, I I saw it, and so I see something that reminds me of it. I got to deal with that. But you know, when I think of the Lincoln assassination, sure, I, you know. I, I've seen Ford's theater and whatnot, but I have no clue what that experience was like. And I know, you know, the remembering Lincoln project has done a really good job of trying to encapsulate that and give us some sources, but Mm -hmm. to really understand what it was like from a a firsthand account, I I can't do that. So I I get what you're saying. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, we are such a like experiential and visual culture now so like we want to see we want to see what happened Mm -hmm. oh yeah Um, it's really it's 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 better to inhabit the place than it is just to simply like watch a video of it or mm -hmm. or even see like you know artifacts or um or swatches of (laughs) you know certain things but you know to actually because i know uh, I, when I was in DC, I had an opportunity to go in there and it was actually, they were about ready to close and, uh, they were able to, we were able to get in there at the last second. And it was, uh, it was just an amazing experience to try and sit there because, uh, when, when we did the film, they made the corner of the theater in a warehouse and yeah. it was, uh, and it was, it's cause obviously there was no way that they could have film this inside of Ford's theater. I just don't yeah. think, you know, there would have been any sort of possibility, but to go in, you know, and you're seeing it. So you see the edges of it, you see where, you know, the, the, the scaffolding and whatnot is, but then to actually go into the place where that event happened is incredibly heavy. Um, if you appreciate it. And one of the things that we have, and we've talked about this also on the podcast as teachers is that trying to get the kids excited or interested or um, alert, I guess, like when we talk about September 11th, the kids that we're teaching in eighth grade now weren't even alive then. Mm-hmm. And so for them, that's something that would seem to be like, you know, um, Pearl Harbor for us. Yeah, we know it was a tragedy, mm-hmm. but that was then. That wasn't, you know, something sure. that we experienced. And I grew to appreciate what that was like for our grandparents that experienced it and lived through that because we had our own national tragedy of September 11th. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess as historians to, to go in and inhabit that place, it's, it's just, it's amazing. And uh, I'm really thankful that whoever it was along the way, because again, I know what restorations to historic theaters, I know the type of care that it takes in, what's chosen and the research mm-hmm. to, to bring it back to uh, the way that it was. Um, I'm so thankful that whoever was along the way made those choices so that they did preserve that because it's, it is a, it, it is macabre. 
but it is uh, an incredibly important uh, piece of history to to still be tangible and to be able to to wander around in. Mm-hmm. I, I want to go to that power of place, uh, and it kind of leads to the last thing I want to bring up here tonight. Um, the power of place is something is a phrase that I heard specifically from the staff, I believe, at Lincoln's Summer Cottage, mm-hmm. which was part of the teacher institute that I attended at Ford's Theater. And uh, I, I'm going to second it, and, and it's easy for me to do that because you guys do all the heavy lifting, and then I can just uh, bring it up. But uh, <laughs> I, the power of place is amazing. You know, it's – and here's a story that I can tell. Last year I was out for the uh, – or this, this May I was out for the, the oratory retreat. And uh, Mike Buchanan, who usually leads the tour with the young delegates, the young students that are out there, was not able to be there. So they asked me if I would be willing to lead the tour through the, the museum basement. And I said, yeah, I can do that. And what was amazing to me is I've told the story of the Lincoln assassination, I don't know how many times, I mean, a ton, Um, but I got to do it there. And I remember I got to the end, or I shouldn't say to the end, I got to the part where uh, Booth commits the crime and we're standing kind of in the corner and Alex, you kind of know where I'm talking about. We're back kind of tucked behind back where the, uh, the boot and whatnot, Aaron, but we're in the, in the corner that'd be like closest to the stairway that comes down, if that makes sense. And uh, so I, I do my, my typical thing where I kind of get quiet and also go bang when it happens. And I look at the kids and I go, guys, you realize the gun that did this. And I pointed over their heads is, is right there. And I said, we're standing in the sp- space where this happened. You know, John Wilkes Booth walked back and forth in some of the spots where we're standing right now. He was he was in this space. And yeah, that power is amazing. So uh, I, I second it. I'm so glad that that uh, Ford Cedar is still preserved, um, that that space is as powerful as, as it is. It's just, it's an amazing thing. Um, but the other thing that I want to talk about is, you know, you've got some amazing opportunities for teachers. I know we've got a lot of social studies teachers that listen in. Can we talk a little bit about the opportunities that teachers have to interact with Ford's Theater? Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so, okay, so we have our Summer Teacher Institutes, and we offer two of them. Um, one is Civil War Washington, which, uh, Jason, you've done. Yeah. Um, and that, we are at Ford's Theater, but we also partner with um, a few other historic sites here in Washington, and we really explore what the civil war was like for the people living here. Um, and so it's a really sort of intimate and, uh, interesting look at what the war was like. And we explore a lot of individual stories and unique perspectives and different perspectives that, you know, probably haven't made it into the history books yet. So, um, so it's really exciting and cool. And then the other program we do is called set in stone civil war memory monuments and myths and that uh program looks more at the historiography of the civil war and reconstruction and how those legacies are still reverberating with us today and um and we get into the national dialogue about confederate monuments and memorialization and what that means for us and the choices that were made over time and the choices that we are empowered to make today. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we have 
uh, on-site field trips. Um, so you are more than welcome to come visit Ford's Theater with your students. Um, we have main stage performances. So again, you can attend a performance with your students. Um, we have uh, oratory programs. So we, um, we have oratory programs that are student-centered. So uh, like the Lincoln Online Oratory Project is one where um, your students learn a Lincoln speech and you can work with a Ford's teaching artist and then perform the speech and record the speech and we'll post it on our YouTube page. Mm. Um, and then we have the National Oratory Fellows Program, um, which again, Jason is part of, and that is a intensive multi-year fellowship professional development for how you can use oratory across your curriculum just as a teaching tool to really help, um, help student teaching and learn or teachers teaching and learning and then student learning and comprehension and, and digging into primary sources and historical speeches. Uh, the Remembering Lincoln website uh, has lesson plans and also opportunities for transcription. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have distance learning. So you can video conference with me or with um, one of our actors who portrays one of the detectives investigating the assassination and Oh, wow. and help bring the story to you no matter where you are. Did yeah, I forget anything? We have a lot. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of resources No, I think I think that sounds amazing. We got a lot of um people who are uh in the educational field um that um I, th this will be great to disseminate out to them too. Um, yeah, so I know I'm definitely interested in applying. <laughs> As am I. Wink, wink. <laughs> well, applications open soon. They open. They open next month. Excellent. Cool. Nice. Excellent. Excellent. Very good. Alex, one final question for you. Mm -hmm. uh, more of a personal question. Ooh, oh, <laughs> uh, what is the coolest slash most interesting slash strangest experience you've had while working there? Uh, I think that would be when we did our uh, commemoration of the 150th anniversary of the assassination. We were open for 36 hours straight. Mm. And being on 10th Street at four in the morning, and it was cold and raining, just like it had been in 1865, Wow. And there were uh, living historians, so people who uh, do like reenactment and, and dress in period clothes and everything. And we had a bunch of we had a bunch of them just around. And uh, and then there were the people who had come to the event and and were there for the whole thing. They were they they were there to keep vigil. Again, just sort of as people had done 150 years before, and it was, it was the most amazing, sort of human experience to to sort of be there in the wee hours when no one should be hmm. out on 10th Street, and and people were going through the theater and going through you know the Peterson House, and it was really amazing. Uh, I can well, theater people are usually out that late anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, actually, um, there's one question that this is kind of a little side note, but uh, one last question, and this will be the last question, I guess. 
Um, have you ever had the opportunity to eat at the walk and roll <laughs> restaurant? You would go. You would I have. I have not. You have not. Okay. Because we were, uh, we, we talked about this in an earlier episode, how the Surratt boarding house had been uh, transformed into the dining experience of the walk and roll restaurant. The walk and roll, yeah. <sighs> I thought he was going to ask him about the Waffle House. <laughs> I've definitely so eaten bad. at the Lincoln Waffle House. Oh yeah, that that's how it's that you can't go there without. <laughs> Not in that neighborhood at least. Is it uh is but is it made out of logs though? That's the no. question. No. no. Okay. So bad. <laughs> what? What? Oh my lord. What did you expect? I'm a part of this whole thing. Come on. <laughs> oh man. Gelmacher bring us home, buddy. Alex, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thanks for this having has been me. fantastic. Absolutely. Thank you for taking the time. <laughs> Alex, always a great thing to talk to you. And I look forward to see I should be back out there uh, in May. Yeah, awesome. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. And uh, again, uh, thank you uh, for uh, joining us. Thank you to everybody for tuning in. Uh, this has been a fun one. I'm not going to lie. There's been yep. a lot of insights. Absolutely. Uh, some pretty crazy stories about uh, a place that's famous. People know a lot about it, but you, know, you never know everything about it. <laughs> Once again, we want to thank our special guest, Alex Wood, joining us from Ford's Theater. It was an amazing uh, experience. Yes. <laughs> it, it was a blast. So on behalf of my co-host, Brian Geldmacher, Jason Hatfield, I am Jason Rude, and you have been listening to the History Rose podcast. We look forward to talking to you again in about a week. Peace out. And deuces for all of you.